Turn back, Sarah. Turn back before it's too late. I can't. Don't you understand that I can't? What a pity. Hello, and welcome to So Five Minutes Ago, the podcast where we discuss the movies that make us want to fight our way to the castle beyond the Goblin City and take back the child who was stolen! (laughs) We're your host, Kate. And Shannon. Today we're talking about the 1986 fantasy fever dream, Mm. Labyrinth. How weird would it be if I did that intro and we weren't talking about Labyrinth? (laughs) (laughs) This film was directed by Jim Henson, produced by George Lucas, and designed by Brian Froud, so it's really wow. just like a fantasy trifecta. Mm-hmm. Uh, it also came out during that weird time, like run in the 80s where there were all those other fantasy movies that we all watched as kids that scarred us emotionally <laughs> and traumatized us, but they were amazing. Uh, the Dark Crystal, Return to Oz, The NeverEnding Story. Uh-huh. Flight of the Navigator, E.T. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they got away with so much in these dark children's movies in the 80s. Mm-hmm. Like every time my mom would put on one of these movies for me to watch, part of me was excited because they're so visually interesting. But another part of me questioned why she was forcing me to strap in for an emotionally and mentally draining <laughs> journey for the next two hours. Uh-huh. <laughs> yep. To this day, E.T. remains my most scarring movie because I watched mm-hmm. it in my parents' bedroom on a rented VCR while they had like friends over or something. I don't really remember. And then I didn't watch it again for probably 20 years. And that was for Dave's like 35th birthday party, I think. <laughs> Which, uh, why did we do that? I don't know. It wasn't uh-huh. my choice. Um, and I haven't seen it since then. And I do not plan to. Yeah. Yeah, I watched E.T. for the first time in high school because my boyfriend at the time said it was good. And as soon as it ended, I said out loud, I never want to watch this again. Yeah, it's <laughs> awful. I mean, it's, you know, obviously a cinematic masterpiece, but it's yeah. gross. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but Shannon, you are a big fan of this movie. Oh, man. What is your history with Labyrinth? Whew. Well... I chose this movie off the rack at some like family owned video rental store when I was, I don't know, 10, mm-hmm. um, based purely on the art that was on the front of the <laughs> movie case, um, took it home, watched it, fell in love with it. And it's exactly what you say, fantasy fever dream, because then I didn't rent it again I didn't see it again for years, and it was always in the back of my mind, like, what was that movie? It was so cool, and it had the girl with the long brown hair, and hmm. um, and then when I finally did see it again, uh, when I finally got my hands on it and found out what it was called, I never let it go, and I probably watched it <laughs> every, like, at least once a year for, like, the next 20 years, and I still watch nice. it all the time. Yeah. Yeah, this was this was one that when we started this season of this podcast, you were like, "We're doing Labyrinth." Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> and I was, 
And I was on board because I also grew up watching this movie. It, you know, it's like I said, it was in the thing with I never really watched Dark Crystal, but like Never Ending Story, mm-hmm. this movie Return to Oz, which is horrifying. Mm-hmm. All these three movies I watched over and over. So, yeah. All right. Before we attempt to describe this movie to you, <laughs> let's talk about some behind the scenes trivia. The main role of Sarah went to Jennifer Connelly, but other actresses considered for this role included Sarah Jessica Parker, of course, Jane Krakowski from 30 Rock fame, which would have been interesting. Uh-huh. Uh, Yasmeen Bleeth, Lily Taylor, Helena Bonham Carter, mm. Ali Sheedy, and Laura Dern, both of which I would have loved to have seen in this mm. role, uh, and Mary Stuart Masterson. Uh, other artists who were considered for the role of the Goblin King, played by David Bowie, included Sting, Mick Jagger, Prince, and Michael Jackson. Mm. And uh, I guess I could see Michael Jackson in it, but like, I'm also so glad it didn't go to him because I don't feel he would have been scary. Mm-hmm. Like, not not the right kind of scary anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Prince would have been interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this was the last movie Jim Henson ever directed. Mm-hmm. And, okay, after filming, Hoggle, like the costume of Hoggle, was discovered in a large wooden crate in the unclaimed baggage center in Scottsboro, Alabama. And he remained unclaimed and still currently resides in the unclaimed museum (laughs) in Alabama. So you can go visit Hoggle at the unclaimed museum, which I also really want to go to. That sounds really interesting. It does. Yeah. But how sad that he got lost like that. Yes, that, and also imagine opening a crate and seeing a hoggle. It'd be horrifying. (laughs) It would be. (laughs) All right, let's get into this movie. So we open with the title sequence, also known as Kate's Exposure Therapy. (laughs) I (laughs) used to have an owl phobia. I've done some work. I've come to accept them, but still cannot abide barn owls. I hate barn owls. Um, And I can't tell if the uncanny valley-ness of this one being CGI makes it better or worse. Mm -hmm. What I can tell you is that it was hard to watch and I hated it. (laughs) I genuinely like physically recoiled every time it flew at the screen. Not dramatically, but just kind of like, It's so obviously CGI though, that it's hard for me to believe that I ever thought it was real, but I definitely did (laughs) as a little kid. Um, It looked completely credible to a nine-year-old in 1986 before we had any kind of decent effects. Totally, totally. Yeah, but now it looks like if a student was learning how to do CGI, Uh like their first animation, that's what it looks like. Yeah. Well, the CGI owl turns into a real owl and lands on a statue in a freaking beautiful enchanted park with a pond and stony bridges. Uh, This location is Memorial Park in New York, but the rest of the movie was filmed in England. A young Jennifer Connelly, whose character's name is Sarah, runs across the grass in some 100% Ren Faire theater kid costuming. It's an ankle-length dress with huge sleeves and a flower crown. Mm. It's beautiful. Sarah LARPing in the park is a real mood. And I wanted to be this angsty when I was nine. Like, if I could have worn a medieval linen dress over jeans to school (laughs) at that time, it would have been my everyday outfit. And she's so sincere about it, which totally sells it. She is. She is. Um, Yeah, she delivers a very dramatic monologue to what looks like the owl. But then when the camera swings around, we see that she's addressing her adorable sheepdog Merlin. I want to hug this dog. (laughs) As thunder rolls across the cloudy sky, she flubs one of her lines and then consults a small book that she produces from her giant (laughs) sleeve. (laughs) The book is titled The Labyrinth. Hey, that's the name of the movie we're watching. Just then, the clock tower strikes seven, and she exclaims that she's late. 
she and Merlin run back through the town as the skies open up and dump rain on them. Sarah is soaking wet and meets her stepmom on the porch who chides her for being late. We learn that Sarah's parents go out every weekend and stick her with babysitting. Sarah whines that it's not fair that they just expect her to babysit, and her mom slams her by saying she wouldn't expect her to stay in if she had any dates. Oof. Way harsh, mom. <laughs> Jeez. Uh, okay, this scene also marks the beginning of my finding Sarah kind of insufferable. Mm-hmm. I think we're supposed to feel sorry for her here, but she's just the whiniest, mouthiest teenager. <laughs> and this whining will continue throughout the movie, and it makes um, kind of makes her unlikable, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, watching this as a 40-something, I totally see that the writers pulled a morality tale over on us kids. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. this is a very convoluted way to tell young people to stop being babies and take responsibility for themselves. <laughs> Yeah, which is hard to buy when the <coughs> teen in question is like constantly whining. It's not fair. Right. She does this a lot. Yeah. All right. Well, next we're in Sarah's room where we can surmise based on looking at it that Sarah is indeed a teenager who is into fairies and fantasy and theater. Uh, and I appreciate the representation of that kind of kid slash girl because I don't feel like we see that a lot Mm-mm. in movies like this kind of girl. Uh, This movie also does something that I love, which is that as it pans around her room, we see all kinds of stuffed animals and figurines and books and a wooden labyrinth, all of which foreshadow characters and scenes that will show up later in the movie. Mm -hmm. I really like details like this. Uh, Somehow, even though Sarah was soaking wet from the rain like 10 seconds ago, she is now fully dry and changed into jeans and the most peasant of blouses (laughs) that has ever been. I'm convinced that 25% of this film's budget was allocated to sleep fabric because (laughs) almost every top in this film has the puffiest sleeves that you have ever seen. Yeah. And the rest of the budget went to brocade and leather riding crops. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Sarah is looking in the mirror, wearing a crown and reciting more lines from the labyrinth. On her mirror, you can see newspaper clippings that include a woman and an actor man that looks like David Bowie. And in the novelization of this movie, it's explained that Sarah's mom left the family to be with this man, uh, which kind of further fuels Sarah's hatred when she actually eventually meets the Goblin King. So it's like a fun little background Mm -hmm. detail. After her dad yells babysitting directives through her bedroom door, Sarah goes to pout on her bed. She glances at her collection of haunted bears with mange <laughs> and notices that one is missing. She pouts and winds her way into her parents' bedroom where she finds the bear lying on the floor next to the crib of her baby brother, Toby. Oh, fun fact. This baby was originally played by a different baby actor, but he kept crying every time he had to be around all the goblins because they freaked him out. <laughs> so they recast the baby using Brian Froud's son, Toby Froud, because he was used to being around puppets and creatures and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Toby actually then grew up to become a puppeteer and a sculptor and fabricator himself. Oh my gosh. So Yeah, so that was really cool. But I just love that detail. It's like, okay, this baby's getting too freaked out. Yeah. Who can we get? Yeah. It's like, oh, this baby who sees creatures all the time is totally cool with it. <laughs> Toby is a toddler in a red and white striped onesie. And between his nonstop crying and Sarah's nonstop whining, the scene is really rough to watch. It's just like a sound assault. (laughs) Babies crying in movies or TV shows is a trigger for me. Like there's this episode of The Office where Pam and Jim bring their kids into the office and the baby Mm -hmm. cries nonstop in a scene that is so long. And I always have to scrub through it because like, I just, I don't know. I think it might stem from like post 
postpartum trauma that I suffered, but I'm not a doctor, so... I mean, you don't have to be an <laughs> most likely what it is. <laughs> you had a baby who cried a lot. Yeah. I don't blame you. <laughs> yeah, it's the scene is rough. Yes. Yeah. Well, in an attempt to get Toby to stop crying, she tells him a labyrinth inspired story. Once upon a time, there was a beautiful young girl whose stepmother always made her stay home with the baby. And the baby was a spoiled child and he wanted everything for himself, and the young girl was practically a slave. But what no one knew was that the king of the goblins had fallen in love with the girl, and he had given her certain powers. So one night, when the baby had been particularly cruel to her, she called on the goblins for help. Listen. Say your right words, the goblins said and we'll take the baby to the Goblin City, and you will be free. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so at this point in the movie, it does this really funny visual gag where the scene cuts back and forth between the bedroom where Sarah is and the goblins listening in on her tell her story from whatever realm they live in. Mm -hmm. So it's like these scenes back and forth. It's really funny. When Toby won't stop crying, Sarah threatens to say the incantation of all frustrated mothers. I can bear it no longer. Goblin King, Goblin King, wherever you may be, take this child of mine far away from me. That's not it. Excellent. That rubbish. It doesn't even start with I wish. Uh, I love it. The goblins are disappointed that she gets the words wrong. (laughs) But then she does say it correctly and she leaves the room and then Toby's crying abruptly stops. Uh Uh-oh. And then the lights won't turn on. Spooky. (laughs) (laughs) She returns to the room to find an empty crib and a goblinish giggling sound. Then there's a bunch of goblins running around in the background. Ah, and then the barn owl flies through the window (laughs) right into Sarah's face and oh my gosh kill me now (laughs) Uh, but then like a bomb to the senses we see that the owl has transformed into david bowie the goblin king himself aka jareth aka jareth cute story maritime lawyer (laughs) he appears in a cloud of glitter with the drapes all fluttering around him and he looks magnificent and He's in this like full body black leather suit with a cape and a stand up collar and his hair. Mm. Shannon, how would you describe his hair? <laughs> mm, truly magnificent. It looks like when we used to put those rubber hair caps on and pull pieces through for frosting. <laughs> it's like a combination of like the during and after of that process. Oh my gosh. Um, but you know what? On him, it works. Uh huh. <laughs> perfect that's a perfect description oh my gosh um all right (laughs) sarah begs to get her brother back but then jareth is like uh you said what you said so no uh but you can have this crystal instead (laughs) and then he produces a crystal ball and starts doing that juggling thing where he like rolls it around the tops of his fingers and stuff and it is really cool Mm -hmm. this is not david bowie doing this the juggling is done by a man named michael motion uh, which is also a perfect name I love for it. a man I know. who does this. And he did it by standing behind Bowie and then sticking his arms through like where David Bowie's armpits are. And then the juggler couldn't even see what he was doing the whole time. So he was doing all this blindly. Mm-hmm. 
freaking crazy. It's amazing. There's some uh, behind the scenes video of it um, on the DVD and it's so cool to watch. I mean, he drops it so many times. Like, I can't imagine how he just didn't get so frustrated and was just like, you know what? This is impossible. No one can do this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but he totally did it. Oh, and it looks so good. Mm -hmm. It's well worth it. Well, this crystal ball shows her her dreams, uh, shows Sarah her dreams, and she can have it if she just forgets about the baby. Um, I mean, seems like a cool trade. Right. <laughs> Deal. But also, yeah, also like, hey, dad and stepmom, how was your date? Oh, where's Toby? I lost him to a goblin king, but look at this cool crystal ball. <laughs> Worth it. Then the crystal ball turns into a live snake, which Jareth throws at Sarah's <laughs> face, and it coils around her neck. This whole scene is nightmares. <laughs> uh, the snake turns into a scarf and she throws it on the ground. And then that, that turns into a goblin who laughs at her and then runs away. <laughs> fever nightmares. Yeah. This whole thing is fever nightmares. Sarah tearfully begs to have her brother back. The goblin king says Toby is in the castle and he points out the window where we see a giant labyrinth leading to a castle on a hill. When the camera is back on Jareth and Sarah, they're out of the bedroom, out of the bedroom and standing on the hill overlooking the city. And Jareth tells Sarah how it bees. You have 13 hours in which to solve the labyrinth before your baby brother becomes one of us forever. Such a pity. And then because Sarah doesn't know how labyrinths work, she says, oh, it doesn't look that far and <laughs> sets off into the maze as the sun rises over the hill. Oh, it looks so far. And also this tiny little scene of her kind of like skip jogging down the hill toward the labyrinth entrance is something that I recreated many times as a preteen. <laughs> Any chance I got, I would play Sarah like in empty school hallways, in the woods behind my house, in the aisles at Kmart. I just... <laughs> I wanted to be her so bad. Oh, I love imagining you doing this little like skippy, <laughs> skippy jog. Yeah. Oh, it's like so cute. Peeking around corners. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Well, the first thing that Sarah encounters is a small troll man peeing into a pond. Uh, as a kid, I always hated that he was peeing. It still does make me so uncomfortable mm -hmm. as an adult. <laughs> this little troll man is Hoggle. And guess if he also has giant puffy sleeves. <laughs> he also has giant puffy sleeves. <laughs> yeah, he probably also smells like pee and mothballs. That's what he looks like. <laughs> In real life, this Hoggle character is accomplished by five different people. Wow an actress inside the costume and then four separate puppeteers controlling little motors and mechanisms inside his face. Wow. They all had to work together for the, for his performance, which I didn't really think about when you, like when I watch uh -uh. him, but it's makes sense and really speaks to their performance. Right. Cause it's amazing. It's flawless. Yeah. Yeah. After Hoggle finishes committing a crime of public indecency, <laughs> uh, he starts spraying insecticide at fairies Sarah calls him cruel, but then she picks one of uh, the fallen fairies up in her hands and it bites her. So she drops it. Things aren't always what they seem in the labyrinth. <laughs> then they have this very Alice in Wonderland exchange. Do you know where the door to the labyrinth is? Oh, maybe. Well, where is it? Oh, you little. Ah, 60. Ooh, ah. I said, where is it? Where is what? The door. What door? It's hopeless asking you anything. Not if you ask the right questions. How do I get into the labyrinth? Uh. 
Now that's more like it. You get seen. There. A set of heavy wooden doors swings open. When Sarah enters, she sees what looks like an endless corridor in either direction framed by damp brick walls. Sarah asks Hoggle if he'd go left or right. He answers that he wouldn't go either way. When she dismisses him for being unhelpful, he says she's wasting her time because even if she finds her way through the labyrinth, she'll never find her way back out. And like, yeah, mm-hmm. he's not wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Hoggle says she takes too much for granted and slams the doors behind him, leaving Sarah to find her own way. Sarah decides to go right and walks for approximately uh, 30 seconds before <laughs> whining. What do they mean, labyrinth? There aren't any turns or corners or anything. This just goes on and on. Maybe I'm just taking it for granted that it does. (laughs) (laughs) The drums of running. (laughs) She takes off running for about 10 more seconds before throwing a fit, giving up and sitting down. Uh, It's the most impotent temper tantrum. (laughs) And she looks like so beautiful the whole time too. Just billowing with sleeves and shiny hair and glowing skin of youth. (laughs) (laughs) True. Uh, And then uh, she meets history's cutest worm who is sitting in a little niche in the wall and greets her with an hello. (laughs) Sarah whines that she can't find her way through the labyrinth because there are no turns or corners. The worm says she just needs to know where to look and that there's an opening right in front of her. She looks at a seemingly solid brick wall across from her, but when she walks through it, she finds that it's actually an opening. Oh, so fascinating to me still. Like, I love a good optical illusion. It's the coolest. Yeah, and it looks like they did this practically, not with CGI. Uh Like, it looks like they just made the wall, like, super thin so that when she walks into it, you're like, oh, it is Mm -hmm. too, like, a split wall. It's really, really well done. And it has, like, branches and vines that come off of where the optical illusion stops and flows onto the background. Yeah. Yeah. Super well done. All right. Well, in the Goblin Castle uh, at the top of the hill, Toby is crying again more still (laughs) while goblins shenanigan around him a distressed jareth sits on his throne watching the clock david bowie has changed into his most recognizable goblin king outfit which includes of course a puffy sleeve pirate shirt the shirt is like the definition of a costumey pirate shirt (laughs) yeah just ruffles big sleeves everything he's also wearing a black leather sort of like corset vest thing and the bulgiest (laughs) tight gray leggings that conceal absolutely nothing and show absolutely everything (laughs) and because this is a semi-musical peppered with david bowie performed songs he launches into this number you remember me as a babe. A babe. A babe with the power. What power? Power of voodoo. Do you do. What? Remind me as the babe. <laughs> Quiet! A goblin babe. <laughs> well. <laughs> a summer baby. <laughs> <laughs> 
That intro is actually based on a 1947 movie called The Bachelor and the Bobby Soxer, starring oh. Shirley Temple and Cary Grant, where they have that exchange almost verbatim. Crazy. Like, who do you do? Yeah, I know. Never knew. Me either. What follows is the most enchanting scene of David Bowie dancing around with all the goblins. I mean, it's David Bowie plus Muppets. Mm-hmm. What more could you want? Mm-hmm. <laughs> David Bowie also dances around with Toby slash definitely a fake baby doll. Mm -hmm. And he throws this doll so high into the air and then lets a goblin catch it. (laughs) 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 All right. So we see Sarah making her way through the labyrinth. She leaves herself a breadcrumb trail by marking arrows on stones on the ground with lipstick. Gross. I hope she never uses that lipstick again. But every time she does, little creatures come up from underground and flip over her marked stones. When she sees the flip stones and then discovers that the walls of the labyrinth are constantly changing, she whines some more that it's not fair. Just then, she meets some, I don't know, like double-headed shield creatures. Yeah. It's like a shield with legs at the bottom and then the head of the dog, a head of a dog (laughs) coming out the top and the bottom. It's as weird as I'm trying to describe it. There's a red one and a blue one. They're standing in front of two doors. One leads straight to the castle and one leads to bum, 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 certain death. <laughs> in frustrating riddle style, they say that she can only ask one of them which door is which. But wait, one of them always tells the truth and one of them always lies. What is she to do? She goes to the red one. Answer yes or no. Would he tell me that this door leads to the castle? Yes? Then the other door leads to the castle and this door leads to certain death. Oh. How do you know? He could be telling the truth. But then you wouldn't be. So if you told me that he said yes, I know the answer is no. But I could be telling the truth. But then he would be lying. So if you told me that he said yes, I know the answer would Uh, still be no. Wait a minute. Is that right? I don't know. I've never understood it. I also have never understood this. <laughs> Thank you. I really tried this time to pay attention and figure out this riddle, but I still can't make any sense of it. Mm-mm, same. I did the same thing. I was like, I'm going to watch this slowly. I'm really going to try to... Un- <laughs> you should write it down it. and like decode yeah. it. We need like a flow chart yeah. like a, with arrows. No idea. But I don't know. She chooses the blue door. And as she cockily congratulates herself for figuring it out and being so smart, she falls through a trap door in what I call the hole of unhygienic whores. (laughs) Because it's made up of hands that grab at her and keep catching her and dropping her. Just the thought of this many strange hands touching me makes my skin crawl. Uh, so it's a, yeah, it's like this long tunnel corridor with all these hands. Um, the creepy slash cool thing, however, is that while the hands are holding her in place, asking her if she wants to go up or down, they talk by making faces out of the hands. So it's like, like four hands will come together to make a mouth and eyes in all different f- configurations. And it's super clever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this was apparently one of the hardest scenes to film, including uh, because it included a hundred actors mm-hmm. all positioned around this like forty foot tall rig. Yeah, some of them had to sit on like the tops of ladders and stuff so that they could yeah. make it like a long corridor thing. Yeah, but this is also just one of those things that fully demonstrates the creativity of like the Jim Henson studio. Yeah, the- totally. Like puppeting without puppets is who you know who would think of that? Yeah, it's oh, it's so well done. Um, 
She chooses down and the hands drop her into a dungeon looking hole. Back in the goblin castle, Jareth is spying on her via his crystal ball. He refers to the place that she's in as the oubliette. Uh, I thought this was a made up word, but I Googled it and it means a secret dungeon with access only through a trapdoor in the ceiling. And yeah, that's exactly where she is. <laughs> so he seems frustrated saying that she shouldn't have made it that far already and that she should have given up by now. She'll never give up. Won't she? The dwarf's about to lead her back to the beginning. She'll soon give up when she realizes she has to start all over again. <laughs> well, love. Uh, all right. Back in the oubliette. The oubliette. The oubliette goes doodly, 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 doodly dead. Okay. Uh, Sarah hears a voice in the darkness. A candle is lit and we see that Hoggle is there. He makes fun of her for not knowing the meaning of oubliette. Shut up, Hoggle! (laughs) And points out that there are no doors. But he knows the shortcut out of the labyrinth. Mm, There's a ton of glitter in this oubliette. Okay. So when Hoggle lights the candle, uh, the whole place is just shimmering. And it reminds me so much of the glittery vampire blood in Lost Boys. Mm-hmm. Man, I just love how the 80s was all about bejeweling the macabre. They, it was, they were just so good at it. Like, I don't know. Did they yeah. just have like a big fire hose full of glitter and they just like <laughs> shot it all over these scenes? Or this is maybe like in the 80s at this point, glitter was new. So they were yeah. like, let's put it on everything. <laughs> they were like, it's tiny know. shards of glass that glisten when light hits it. <laughs> yeah. You know what we could use that for? Everything. Everything. Yeah. I'm sure glitter was around in the 70s, but man, they've really made use of it in the mm-hmm. 80s. Uh, yeah, this entire movie is just rife with glitter. Every prop, every scene is covered in glitter. Mm-hmm. Not since Footloose have I been so <laughs> concerned about the respiratory health of the cast and crew. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, she says that she's come too far to give up now, but if he takes her as close to the castle as he can, she'll give him a crappy plastic bracelet. I don't know. Apparently plastic is, uh, scarce in the Goblin yeah. Kingdom because he goes gaga over it and he agrees. And then he does this fun trick where he leans a door up against the wall and opens it to reveal a tunnel. Mm. It's, it's like there was no door. Now there's a door. It's fun. As they're walking through the tunnel, there are big stone faces shouting warnings at them. And I find this part genuinely funny. Soon it will be too late. Yeah, don't pay any attention to them. They're just false alarms. You get a lot of them in the labyrinth, especially when you're on the right track. Oh, no, you're not. Oh, shut up. I'm sorry, just do it my job. Well, you don't have to do it to us. Beware, Fuzzy. Just forget it. Oh, please. I haven't said it for such a long time. Oh, all right. But don't expect a big reaction. No, 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 of course not. <clears throat> But the path you will take will lead to sudden destruction. Thank you. <laughs> uh, all right. They're interrupted by a crystal ball that rolls by and is collected by a Skeksis-looking creature who rips off his disguise, and it's Jared! Uh. <laughs> he seriously only waits like yeah. three seconds before revealing himself. So like, why bother with the disguise? Yeah, so anticlimactic. But like, he's probably yeah. lonely as hell. So any company at all is just an excuse for costume changes and disguises. <laughs> yeah. He's like, ooh, I'm going to wear a disguise. <laughs> he accuses Hoggle of helping Sarah, but Hoggle says, no, he was actually leading her back to the beginning of the labyrinth. And Sarah is like, What? <laughs> Jareth calls <laughs> calls him a higgle <laughs> and says that if he helps Sarah, he'll suspend him over the bog of eternal stench. 
Higgle drops to his knees and begs to be spared while we're forced to get a close-up of <laughs> a crotch shot of Jareth's leggings. It's just right there in the camera. Jareth asks Sarah uh, how she's enjoying the labyrinth when she fakes bravery and says, oh, it's a piece of cake. Jareth winds the clock forward by a couple hours and then chucks his crystal ball down a dark tunnel where it turns into this freaking horrifying machine of spikes and whirling blades that races towards Sarah and Hoggle. This is truly terrifying. Mm-hmm. I know. And Hoggle yells that the machine is called the cleaners, which just makes it even scarier. Ew. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Sarah and Hoggle take off running down the tunnel. When they meet a dead end of locked doors, they decide to push on a panel on the wall and they fall through it just as the machine passes them by. And then when it passes them, we see on the back that it's just these two little Muppets operating it with like a hand car. (laughs) (laughs) Things are not always what they seem. Hoggle says he just told Jareth that thing about leading her back to the beginning to throw him off the scent. Sarah asks how she can ever trust him. He asks, what choice do you have? And she's like, nah, you're right. (laughs) They discover a ladder, and as they climb, Hoggle tells Sarah, what's up? See, you've got to understand my position. I'm a coward, and Jareth scares me. What kind of position is that? No position. That's my point. And you wouldn't be so brave if you'd ever smelt the ball of eternal stench. It's, it's, it's... Is that all it does, is smell? No, believe me, that's enough. But the worst thing is, if you so much as put a foot in the bog of stench, you'll smell bad for the rest of your life. She'll never wash off. Alright, so they emerge above ground in a hedge maze. Hoggle tries to ditch Sarah, but she grabs his bag of jewels. Not a euphemism. (laughs) Just then they see an old wise man who has a hat that is the neck and head of a live bird. (laughs) I like this hat. It's so cool. (laughs) It's really cool. And he and the hat argue and it's delightful. (laughs) (laughs) They ask for his help getting to the castle. He says, sometimes the way forward is the way back. Cool. Thanks. (laughs) As they make their way through the maze, Hoggle remarks that Sarah referred to him as her friend and that he's never been anyone's friend before. Hey, Hoggle, maybe do less lying and public urination and you'll have more friends. I don't know. Then they hear a loud, monstrous roaring and Hoggle runs away. (laughs) Sarah notes that not everything is as it seems in this place and decides to investigate the source of the roaring. She sees a big beast looking creature hanging upside down while little soldiers run at him and poke him. And they have these sticks that look like something out of a tool video. Uh They're like spears with little fetus looking creatures on the top with huge teeth that bite. It's gross. Yeah, it it is gross. And these mean Muppets are tormenting Ludo, the thing that's hanging there. And one of them yells, we got you now fuzzball. And I only know that because I had captions on because for all of these years, I thought he was saying, we got you now, Francois, which <laughs> I guess makes no sense at all, except that I thought, uh, you know, he has this weird accent. And so I thought maybe he was supposed to be French. <laughs> yeah, they do have kind of like French accents. These little soldiers yeah. He's like, I got you now, Fasmol. Yeah. Like, so, <laughs> I don't blame you for thinking that. Yeah. <laughs> Well, Sarah picks up some rocks and throws them at the soldiers. When they run away, she helps down the big creature. 
Uh, his name is Ludo, as you said, and he looks like an orangutan with horns. Mm-hmm. Oh, he's such a big <laughs> sweetie. Whoever puppeteers this costume does an incredible job. Because not only was this apparatus probably so difficult and heavy to wear, but they also make his face look so expressive mm-hmm. and it just hits you right in the heart. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I was on this set, I would just hug mm-hmm. Ludo all the time. <laughs> just on breaks, I would just be like, mm, I want to hug you. Uh, I looked it up and this costume originally weighed 100 pounds. Wow. I know. And Jim Henson said it was too heavy and told the creature shop designers to make it lighter. So they were able to bring it down to 75 pounds, but two different actors had to split the operation of it because it was too heavy for one person to wear it the whole time. Mm -hmm. Crazy. It is crazy. And the sound that the Ludo character makes when he gets up from a fall is consistent with someone wearing a hundred pound costume. Mm -hmm. Um, Also consistent with me getting up out of my chair after watching hours of 90 day fiance. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you. Let me help you. you okay? <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> uh, um, and because stuff just constantly appears out of nowhere in this movie, then Sarah notices two doors uh, with talking door knockers. One has a giant ring in its mouth, which she has to take out in order to understand him. And then Ludo puts the ring in his mouth and he's like, eh? and it's really cute. <laughs> he's like, look at me. <laughs> Sarah decides that she wants to walk through that door, but the knocker refuses to let her put the ring back in his mouth to knock to get through. So she holds his nose until he relents and open his mouth to breathe. And then she shoves the ring back in. And I never understood why he doesn't just spit it out uh-huh. again. Yeah. But I guess that's not as yeah. fun. So. She knocks on the door, which opens into a forest, and Ludo reluctantly follows her in. Back up in the goblin castle, Toby is sitting on the goblin king's knee, who laughs and says that he thinks he'll call the baby Jareth. Hey, goblin king, think of a different name? Yeah. That seems like it might get really confusing down the road. (laughs) Right, since there's only two humans in the whole town. (laughs) And they're both named Jareth and one's a baby? Yeah. I don't know. Uh, Okay, so this also might be a good time to raise this question. Unless I missed it, why does Jareth want this baby so badly? Because he tells Sarah that if she can't rescue Toby in time, he turns into a goblin. Oh, yeah. So does Jareth just want as many goblins around as possible? Uh, he, I think he just wanted to something to lure Sarah in and so she could never get back out because I think he wants her. Okay. So it's okay. He, Toby's just chum. He's All right. baby bait. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, that makes sense. Um, All right, Shannon is going to cover the second half of this movie. And I got to say, I give you credit because from here on out, the wheels just really come off and the rest of this movie reads like a fever dream. So best of luck, Shannon. Oh, boy. Well, covering the second half of the movie is a double-edged sword because on the one hand, I get to talk about the masquerade ball. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, I have to try to make Goblin City seem like it's not the driest, most boring movie scene in existence. Um, You can at me and let me know how I did. So here we go. Sarah and Ludo have just stepped through the mystery door into a very glittery wood. Sarah is reassuring Ludo that there's nothing to be scared of when he just drops out of sight into the bowels of the forest. (laughs) Which I thought was an incredible feat to have an actor in the 75-pound bulky suit just drop through a trap door. Yeah, knowing that now, that is crazy. Because he probably hit like a trampoline or something down there and it was probably not not very comfortable. (laughs) Uh, When Sarah turns around, Ludo is gone and she starts yelling for help. 
we cut to Hoggle feeling guilty as hell while always also hightailing it out of the labyrinth. But when he finally hears Sarah's cry, he heel turns and heads back to help her. However, because it's a labyrinth, suddenly slash magically, Jareth is there, super casually leaning on a rock in his riding breeches with his whole codpiece out, wagging his <laughs> finger at Hoggle for losing his head over a girl. And it's like, hey, isn't that exactly what you're doing? But whatever. Jareth tells, right? yeah. Jareth tells Hoggle to give Sarah this and tosses him the crystal ball, which turns into a ripe peach in midair. And then he tells Hoggle, if he messes up again, he'll throw him in the bog of eternal stench. And then he says this. And Hoggle, if she ever kisses you, I'll turn you into a prince. You will? Prince of the land of stench. <laughs> I mostly clipped that because Bowie's voice is like velvet and his laugh is even better and I miss him. Same. And I realized I haven't really seen him act in many movies, so I don't hear him speak a lot. Mm -hmm. And it made me wonder, does he actually talk like this? Because his cadence is truly enchanting. Mm -hmm. It's very sing-songy, like, you know. Yeah. (laughs) I've seen... I'll turn you into a, like, Prince of Eternal Stench. Ah." He actually... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Blah. Blah. Uh, he all, he does talk like that. I've seen a couple of interviews with him, and it's just I don't know. That's just his his deal. That's it's very theatrical. Yeah. I love it. But yeah, who like how did that happen for him to just be like Sarah? Find your way <laughs> through the labyrinth. It's like you talk like this all the time. Yeah, like. When you go to the grocery store, get some eggs and milk. <laughs> like, okay, whatever you want. <laughs> when he decided to be the the man who fell from space, he really like committed a hundred percent to the character. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh! <clears throat> but um, I also clipped that because um, it's the last nice thing that happens before this next horrible thing that I can't say enough bad things about. And that's saying a lot because this is one of my most beloved movies that I cherish deep in my heart, but I hate the fireys. What's going on? Yeah! <laughs> what do you want? Okay. Oh my god. I mean, that basically sets the tone of what's to come for the next 30 minutes. Oh, wait, the scene is actually only less than four minutes long, but it doesn't feel like it. Mm-hmm. Okay, so basically, there's a lot of green screen action happening here because we've got several puppeteers controlling some red feathered Muppets with beaks and segmented bodies. These Muppets can take off their body parts and toss them around. Um, and one of them sounds exactly like Elmo because it is Elmo, or at least it's the guy who ends up being Elmo down the road. (laughs) (laughs) The fireys are placed in Sarah's path, essentially to slow her down and also to maybe take her body apart, because they keep trying to pull her head off. Um, it's a lot of like loosey goosey muppeting and even more of a really terrible song that still to this day will pop into my head for no reason. This is the only song in the film that's not performed by David Bowie. So see, see what happens mm-hmm. when you don't let the professional do the things. This is what you get. You get fireys. Uh, I also hate this scene mm-hmm. and it's so, so long, mm-hmm. like 
four minutes is still really long for a scene that adds basically nothing yeah, to the movie. Yeah, it is. The scene could have been replaced with some like something chasing her for 10 seconds and it would have been so much better. Mm. Uh, I also, ugh, I hate these Muppets. I hate how their legs look like sinewy chicken crab legs. <laughs> yeah. I hate how they waste so much of our time. Yep. The, the fireys are so disrespectful. Also, <laughs> if we're wrong and you love this scene, please message us and tell us. Or like, eh, we can put up a poll on our Instagram at so five minutes ago pod, mm-hmm. and you can tell us if we're wrong. I mean, we're not, mm-hmm. but you can vote. Yeah, <laughs> everyone's entitled to their wrong opinion. <sighs> this scene drags on and on until a rope appears with Hoggle standing at the top of a high wall. Sarah climbs up the rope, tormented by severed fiery heads that are flying by, flapping their ears. These things just keep getting worse. <laughs> Ugh. Sarah is super happy to see Hoggle has come back to help her, and she throws her arms around him and kisses him, and Jareth makes good on his promise as the ground opens up and swallows them both sending them careening down a stone passage that ends stinkily in the bog of eternal stench. Mm. All right. Luckily, Sarah and Hoggle manage to grab onto some tree roots just before they fall ass over tea kettles, as my mom would say, into the bog. (laughs) They pick their way precariously across a crumbling rock ledge, making who just farted faces and holding their noses (laughs) while the bog burps and flatulates underneath them. All right. Two things. One, uh, (laughs) what do you imagine this bog smells like? Because I'm imagining like hot summer garbage water mixed with that dead seal that I found (laughs) on the beach when I was five years old. So, (laughs) Um, yeah. And then two, can we talk about the creative team who designed this bog and their decision to make it look like a bunch of anuses farting out (laughs) diarrhea? Because that's exactly what it looks like. And it is effective. That is exactly what it looks like. Oh my gosh. It's <laughs> it's it's a choice. It is yeah. for you know, definitely um if you could smell a movie scene, this would be one of those <laughs> scenes. Yeah, looks stenchy. Yeah. Ugh. Okay, well, the rock uh, that Sarah and Hoggle are on uh, gives the rock ledge gives way and they fall right onto Ludo, who wastes no time expositing. No bad. <laughs> <laughs> Uh But the real exposition comes from Hoggle, who tells them that if they step even one foot into the bog, they'll smell bad forever. I take this warning very seriously as a rule-following perfectionist, so you can imagine, Kate, how it pains me when the movie breaks its own rule in a few minutes. Stay with me. I I am with you. I already know what you're referring to, and I have thoughts. (laughs) Good. I am glad. Okay, the three friends try to flee from the bog, but they come to an impassable bridge guarded by a pirate fox who rides a dog. The fox is a Muppet. The dog is a dog, but sometimes a Muppet, depending on the situation. So (laughs) the fox's bark is worse than his bite, although he does bite Ludo's finger pretty hard. And while Ludo is trying to smash the fox with a tree branch, Hoggle takes advantage of the distraction and runs across the bridge because coward. Eventually, the fox, who we find out is named Sir Didymus, yields to Ludo's strength, but still can't let the crew cross the bridge because of his sacred vow to not let anyone cross without his permission. Smarty Pants Sarah finds the flaw in the logic. Well... May we have your permission? Well, I... Uh, 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 mm-hmm. <laughs> yes? <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay, so obviously this bridge is a rickety mess and it falls apart as Sarah is crossing, leaving her dangling from a tree branch over the bog. Ludo uses his adorable power of calling up boulders from the bog with this guttural howl, and soon Sarah is on solid ground again. Now here's where the movie breaks its own rule. The boulders that come up from the bottom of the bog are covered in slime and stench from the bog, and everyone steps on all of the boulders to get across the bog. So by the law of transitive properties, if the bog itself is stenchy, then anything covered in bog slime would also be stenchy, and the stench would be transferred to anything that touched it. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Shannon, I had this exact same thought. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're stepping all over these wet, bog-soaked stones. Mm -hmm. So how does it not affect them? Also, these stones pop up, as you said, from the middle of the bog. So as they're crossing the middle of this like burping, farting bog, wouldn't it stand a reason that they're getting covered in droplets of bog Uh. juice? If just stepping in it makes you smell forever, surely walking through the steamy gases and droplets of the bog would cling to you eternally. The rules of this bog are all over the place. (laughs) Okay, also at this point, I need to call attention to the detail that when they cross these stones, each time they step on one, the stones emit their own individual fart sound effect. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know why this choice was made. However, when Sir Didymus crosses, he does so while riding on the back of the aforementioned dog who serves as his horse. This dog is also Sarah's sheepdog Merlin from the beginning of the movie, or one that looks just like Mm -hmm. him. And as you mentioned, sometimes it's a Muppet dog and sometimes it's a real dog. (laughs) So in this case, it's an actual dog. Okay, so for this clip that I'm about to play, I want you to imagine a tiny Muppet fox (laughs) riding on the back of an actual dog and the dog kind of looks scared to run across Mm -hmm. these bog stones, but then he just books it across (laughs) and because these stones make sounds... This happens. Come on, Ambrosius. Just close your eyes and go. (laughs) I dare you to watch this and not laugh. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. If it were easier to make ringtones for our phones, that would be it. That would be the one. Uh (laughs) Only when we call each other, though. When I clipped that, <sighs> that I sent it to you, to Shannon, I was like, all right, Hall of Fame, best clip yep. that we've ever had. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Wow. Wow. This bog is just full of surprises. All right. So mm-hmm. Hoggle seems to get a burst of courage and goes to drop the poison peach into the bog once they're all safely across. But he hears Jareth's voice say, I wouldn't do that if I were you. And he chickens out, of course. Uh, Shannon, can you please give us a better David Bowie impression on that line read? <laughs> I wouldn't do that if I were you. Thank I'm you. I'm not good at impressions. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> he just turned over in his grave. <clears throat> An undetermined amount of time later, the crew is starting to get hungry. Sarah suggests looking for berries when Hoggle shamefully pulls the peach out and hands it to Sarah. Sarah, not the least bit sus about where this perfect peach came from, jams it into her mouth and immediately notices that it tastes strange. Hoggle, what have you done? Oh, damn you, Jerry. And damn me, too. Mm-hmm. Because the peach is apparently laced with just pounds of LSD. 
Sarah starts tripping balls within seconds of ingesting it. Um, but that's great for us because here's the main reason we all watch this movie. <laughs> the Masquerade Ball. Now, what a nice, just oh, calming, mm -hmm. mm, just oh, I just love just it. Beautiful, and the costume designers really went all out for the scene. Um, and in my permanent memory, it lives as one of the most beautiful fairy tale experiences of all time. <laughs> but every time I watch it, I'm reminded how sinister the costuming is. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. The, the set is like literally dripping with jewels and ribbons and excess. Even Jennifer Connelly's hair is like 10 pounds of extensions. And it's like <laughs> laced up with pearls and ribbon and silver leaves. Um, she's wearing this massive iridescent lace ball gown, which I actually got to see in person at the Jim Henson exhibit when it came through L.A., Yes, uh, and it's like the I saw that too, and it, the bodice is so tiny, uh -huh. and the sleeves and the skirt are so huge. It's like, and it's in this giant display yeah. case right when you walk in, and it really does hit you full. Like, yep. holy moly, it's beautiful. Yeah, they have the display case with her dress and his suit, and the whole thing like this giant, like cylindrical glass case um, turns really slowly, so you get the sensation that like the uh, the dress is dancing. Oh my gosh, it's yeah beautiful. Um, and the shoulder poofs on this gown are each like roughly the size of bowling balls. But because her hair is so big and her eyebrows are just powerful, she just <laughs> she totally carries this whole look off. Yeah, both Jennifer Connelly and David Bowie look beautiful in this scene. And Bowie especially, he doesn't even look human. Uh -huh. He's so beautiful. He looks like this beautiful iridescent alien. Yes. It's crazy his face is so snatched like i don't think that they did the thing where they pull back with tape um but that's no. what he that's just what he looks like that's just his face yeah and when they when they show her and then the camera finds him in the crowd as mm. soon as it lands on his face you're just like holy crap mm -hmm. like you're just like <laughs> beautiful it's insane there's only one for sure Mm -hmm. uh, Sarah wanders through the, uh, she wanders lost through a sea of partygoers, all dressed in macabre masks and satins and brocades. And there's a clock in the background, similar to the one that Jareth is using at the castle um, to keep track of Sarah's progress with 13 hours on it. Sarah finds Jareth wearing a black horned devil mask across the room and is drawn toward him. He's dressed in like royal blue, bejeweled, velvet, high collar jacket with tails over what I can only call like the Niagara Falls of ruffled shirts. <laughs> it's so extra, but it's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they dance, he sings to her and spins her around and around and she becomes disoriented as the clock chimes 12. And we round the corner into eyes wide shut territory. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I want to like this scene, but it makes me so uncomfortable. Mm. Like, okay, I'll start by saying the costuming in this set are just insanely beautiful, but the masks are really terrifying. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's like you said, they're kind of eyes wide shut masks. And then the crowdedness and the craziness of the scene feels suffocating. Mm -hmm. And that's what it's conveying. So it's effective. But I just realized that I was holding my breath the whole time I was watching it. So there's that. I also do not like <laughs> the romantic implications 
between Sarah and Jareth because she is so young. Yeah. And the way he's pursuing her and um, in this crowd and everything, and she feels powerless against him. I'm just, I'm really glad they didn't kiss her or anything because mm-hmm. that would yeah. have been sketchy. But um, the whole scene just feels like your dad's coworker who makes you <laughs> dance with him at a Christmas uh, party. You know? Yeah. I don't know. Uh, I I kind of feel like because Jareth is this like mythological creature, mm-hmm. he sort of transcends age. I don't know. I, I get it though. Um, she yeah, is like vampire so kind of. She looks like a child yes. basically, mm-hmm. and he's definitely like thirty six. <laughs> so. <Yeah. laughs> oh gosh. Okay. Well, uh, she pulls away from him and she fights her way through the crowd, only to find her exit blocked by a mirror, which she smashes with a chair. And then she's sucked through the shattered mirror and she falls slowly through time and space, where her masquerade costume changes back into her Renfair street clothes. She lands on a garbage heap and then ah, get off my bed. <laughs> Why don't you look where you're going, young woman? Hmm? I was looking. Huh? Huh? Hmm? And where were you going? Hmm? I don't remember. You can't look where you're going if you don't know where you're going. I was searching for something. Well, look here. Hmm? You're my back! <laughs> <laughs> So it's Lancelot, Sarah's bear, handed to her by this old lady Muppet nightmare with a huge heap of trash on her back, kind of like a garbage turtle. (laughs) She's halfway terrifying, and I still have a recurring dream about her every once in a while, held over from childhood. Yeah. Uh, also, old lady Muppet nightmare garbage turtle will be my dating profile if I ever have to start over as a senior. Uh, and I would love to see what kind of hits you get with that. <laughs> oh, gosh. Okay, so, uh, so this old lady is another diversion placed in Sarah's path to distract Sarah and keep her from getting to the castle. And distract Sarah, she does. She takes Sarah deep into the trash heap um, to a place that looks exactly like Sarah's bedroom. Sarah collapses on the bed, grateful to be home, thinking that it must have all been a dream. And this is where I'd like to point out that apparently some people have this exact experience where they wake up from a dream and they're still in the dream, Kate. (laughs) (laughs) And that's about one of the most upsetting things I've ever heard. Shannon, this happens to me all the time. Awful. (laughs) And it's exhausting. Like, I have had dreams where I'm literally slapping myself and poking myself in the eyes trying to get myself to wake up. And then I do. And then it's still the dream. And when it happens to Sarah in the movie, I had the same feeling of dread that I experience in dreams when it happens to me, like when she is still in the dream, uh-huh. but she thinks she's awake. Oh, uh, I felt that. It's, yeah, it's, it's awful. awful. I, mean, I can't believe this doesn't happen no. to you. No, uh-uh. I've had dreams that I'm sleeping, but I have never had a dream that I woke up from a dream and I was still sleeping. It oh, sounds well, awful. Yeah, this happens to me a lot. It, it sucks. It's like being trapped in your own mind. It's terrible. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. And imagine that and you're like, and then you know that you're dreaming and you're trying to wake yeah. up and like I said, like slapping yourself in the face and poking your eyes and being like, wake up. And then you do and you're just like, oh, okay, I'm awake. And then you start walking through your room and you're like, this is kind of not my room. And then you're just like, I'm still freaking dreaming. Oh, Come on. It's awful. I'm so sorry for people that go through that. (laughs) Thank you. We appreciate your sympathy. 
Well, Sarah opens her bedroom door to see if her dad's home yet, but instead of seeing the upstairs hallway in her upper middle class house, the door opens to a trash dump as far as the eye can see, and the nightmare trash Muppet lady storms into the room. <laughs> Better to stay in here, dear. Yes, there's nothing you want out there. No. Oh, no. Oh, what have we got here? Absolut. Oh, your little bunny rabbit. You like your little bunny rabbit, don't you? Yes, yes, yes. There you go. Oh, and there's Betsy Boo. You remember Betsy Boo, don't you? Yes, yes, yes. Mm. Now then, what else have we got? What's this? Oh, let's have a look. Oh, it's a pencil box. Got lots of pencils in it, too. And oh. I know. The junk lady keeps putting things on a dazed Sarah, and the items are piling up on her. Um, and then Sarah sees a copy of the Labyrinth storybook on her dressing table. She picks it up, and she starts reading it. Dangers untold and hardships unnumbered. I fought my way here to the castle, beyond the goblin city, to take back the child that you have stolen. Ha! Uh, uh, what's the matter, my dear? Don't you like your toys? It's all junk. Ha! Uh, well, what about this? This is not junk! Eh? Yes, it is! I have to save Toby! The room starts to crumble, and Sarah escapes out and finds her friends waiting for her, and now they're all off to the most boring place in the world, the Goblin City. Bear with me, we're going in. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> the first problem they encounter at the gates to the city is a huge metal robot with an axe. Okay, real quick. This robot is impressive. Yeah. It's it's a gate that turns into a robot. And it was at this point that it, I really reflected and realized the production design in this movie is honestly incredible, mm -hmm. considering pretty much everything was done with practical effects and not CGI. Oh, totally. But this is literally a wooden gate that like a robot comes out of yeah. it and moves around. It's how did they do this? <laughs> Yeah, it's, I mean, Goblin City in general, when you look at just the molding of the buildings and the scale mm -hmm. and everything, it's amazing. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's just so gray and the storyline yeah. is just super boring. But so, but this robot, as Kate says, the gate sort of closes and when it meets, it makes the outline of a robot and then the robot comes out in 3D. Um to attack the the little gang here. Hoggle gets the best of it, though, by jumping into the robot's cockpit and throwing out the Muppet that's operating it. <laughs> and, but I'm already bored. Um, somehow the robot explodes, <laughs> and Sarah commends Hoggle for his bravery, which makes him come forth with this Shakespearean apology. I'm not asking to be forgiven. I ain't ashamed of nothing I did. Cherith made me give you that peach. I don't care what you think of me. I told you I was a coward, and I ain't interested in being friends. Uh, sounds like a freaking seven-year-old, and isn't it sweet? <laughs> Sarah forgives him because she's only 14, and she doesn't know any better yet. The crew continues deeper into Goblin City. We see a clock that reads 13 minutes to the 13th hour, and then we cut to this perfect exposition from one of the Goblin King's guards. Your Highness! The girl! What? The girl who ate the peach and forgot everything! What of? 
Huh? She's here with the monster and Sir Didymus and the dwarf who works for you. What? They've got through the gates and they're on their way to the castle. Stop her. Call out the guard. Take the baby and hide it. She must be stopped. Do something. Come on, move. I feel like that was maybe written by a wife who's used to having to spell everything out for her spouse. Like <laughs> cucumbers, the long green things in the produce section near the front of the store, by the peppers and the lettuce. Not the cocktail size ones, the full size. In the produce section, on the right, on the right hand side when you walk through the door. <laughs> he just gets it, it's just efficient, he gets it done, and now we know now Jareth knows what's going on. Uh-huh. <laughs> Gosh, anyway, Jareth and his full-size cucumber flees the castle after sending <laughs> his entire goblin army to do a war on the raggedy little gang. So he sends his whole army after, like, five little people. Uh-huh, um, yeah. So this chase scene, I can't even pretend to be interested, um, so here are the highlights. The crew hides in a goblin house. There's a bunch of cannon fire and then a showdown between Sir Didymus and a red goblin knight that we never see again. Ludo calls up his boulder friends, and a huge avalanche of rocks descends on the city, crushing the goblin army. Man, I really hate this scene. I used to fast forward <laughs> it every time I watched the movie, which is why when I watch it now, I'm always a little surprised when it starts like, what the heck? Oh, right. This is the goblin Benny Hill show. Oh, my gosh. Honestly, the scene takes forever. And it sucks because you can tell that it took so much work mm -hmm. between creating the set of the city and operating all these little goblin muppets. Yeah. But it's just so, like, laborious and dull. Yeah. And, uh, it really uh, is. Yeah. And eventually, so, so eventually, <laughs> the crew makes it to the castle, which is now abandoned and really underwhelming. Um, yeah. Like, just, I mean, they're in the castle and there's just nothing interesting about it. The clock above the empty throne shows Sarah's almost out of time. She tells the crew she has to face Jareth alone. Why? Yes. Because that's the way it's done. Well, if that is the way it is done, then that is the way you must do it. But should you need us? Yes. Should you need us? A call. Thank you, all of you. And if there's one thing this LARPing teen knows, it's her goblin folklore. So Sarah <laughs> runs into a real-life M.C. Escher painting, literally, and comes face-to-face -face with... Oh, you turned my world, you precious thing. You starve and near exhaustion. Everything I've done, I've done for you. I fully see and understand the implications of this May-December romance, especially since Bowie was 38 and Connolly was playing like a 15-year-old. But I choose to suspend reality because of the fantasy aspect of the movie, and clearly Sarah has issues with losing her dad to her stepmom. Mm. Um, there's just a lot to unpack here, but that's like a different podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Jared is defying all the laws of physics, trying to get Sarah to notice him, but all Sarah sees is Toby crawling around like some kind of the ring baby. <laughs> <laughs> I love these effects. Uh, like the one where Jareth walks up or down mm -hmm. around the edge of these ledges. 
Yeah. It, it looks like he's going to step off a ledge and fall, but then he just sort of like turns downward to walk upside down mm. on the bottom of the ledge. It's so well done and creepy and disorienting. Mm-hmm. They so use good. like a combination of rigging on actual David Bowie and then like this dummy, this full size dummy that they like put hydraulics on to get those hmm. uh, those different like angles and stuff. Very cool. They did a great job because it doesn't, again, you know, we were saying like so many of the effects in this movie are practical and not too CGI and it, it looks great. It's It's seamless. Terrifying. Mm -hmm. I know. (laughs) So Sarah chases Toby, but she can never seem to be like on the same plane with him. She gets one chance to rescue him now as he sits on the edge of an opening to what seems like a really long way down. She closes her eyes and she jumps and then floats through space again. She lands among pieces of the staircase, like disjointed and crumbling, as if Jareth is losing his magic and his spell is wearing off. And that's when Jareth appears creepily and delivers this scorching monologue. Sarah, beware. I have been generous up until now, but I can be cruel. Generous? What have you done that's generous? Everything. Everything that you wanted, I have done. You asked that the child be taken. I took him. You cowered before me. I was frightening. I have reordered time. I have turned the world upside down. And I have done it all for you. I am exhausted from living up to your expectations. Isn't that generous? I know that that was a long clip, but this is basically the performance I give my family once a month. So I wanted to lean <laughs> into my truth a little. <laughs> and Bowie's so hot here. He's dressed head to toe in white oh. alpaca fur, white gloves, a lilac pirate shirt, which is open to his navel. He also has this like overpiece harness halter thing made of bones that looks very amazing and like skexy chic. Uh, yeah <laughs> he's pissed as hell though um trying one last time trying to make sarah his bride his queen yeah or slave or he wants to be her slave what's happening <laughs> yeah, it's unclear <laughs> what is very clear is that he'll stop at nothing to win her just fear me love me do as i say and i will be your slave done see you never toby You and dad can go kick rocks. I'm staying with this magic hottie. Oh, is not what Sarah says. You have no power over me. As the clock strikes 13, Jareth devolves out of his flowing fabrics back into a CGI owl. Sarah finds herself back in her middle-class fancy foyer. She runs upstairs to check on Toby, who is sleeping like an angel, and she tucks Lancelot into the crib with him because she's not a kid anymore. She heads back into her room where she starts taking down the photos and the clippings of her mom and some other little girl things, and she puts them away in a drawer because she's not a kid anymore. (laughs) Also super weird, her dad returns from his night out and yells upstairs, we're back, Sarah, are you home? (laughs) And I get that this is just a vehicle for Sarah to be able to very dramatically answer, yes, I'm home, (laughs) because of her journey. But why would her dad ask if she's home? She's babysitting? She can't leave. This is a weird detail. Yeah, (laughs) it is. It is exactly a vehicle for that. You're right. 
Um, and when she looks into the mirror in her bedroom, she sees the memories of her Muppet friend crew and something truly Jim Henson happens in our last clip. And remember, fair maiden, should you need us? Yes, should you need us for any reason at all? I need you, Hoggle. You, you do? I don't know why, but every now and again in my life, for no reason at all. I need you. All of you. Oh, you do? Well, why didn't you say so? So cute. She turns from her mirror and her room is filled with all the characters from the movie pulling party poppers and dancing around because she is still a kid. Oh, and she hugs Ludo. Uh, I just want to hug Ludo. <laughs> Uh, the camera pulls back from Sarah's room and we see a real owl sitting on a branch looking into Sarah's window. The owl flies away and the credits roll. And that's when we find out that each fiery was played by four people and I'm livid. <laughs> <laughs> All that manpower. What a way. Truly. They could have been doing so many more like lofty pursuits. Yeah. But I still love this movie. It's such a great example of how childhood imagination can be so healing. And it's also a great example of Bowie's slam and bod. Amen to that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Oh, that was that was a great journey into this fantasy labyrinth. Mm. Amazing. All right. Come back next week. We are going to talk about a really actually highly requested movie. Just one of the guys. Super excited to talk about this. Fun. It's going to be great. <laughs> <laughs> problematic yeah, maybe <laughs> yeah i don't know come back and find out all right talk to you then bye, bye. join us each week for a new episode of so five minutes ago check out our instagram at so five minutes ago pod with the number five to see visuals and clips from the show you can also get in touch with us at so five minutes ago pod at gmail.com and please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get podcasts. Special thanks to Dave Quiggle for creating our podcast music. Talk to you all next week. Five minutes ago.